Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where our desire is to find meaning and mission in following Jesus. God designed us to thrive in the context of community, and we would love to have you join us for a weekend service soon in Vancouver. Today's message is from our current sermon series in the book of Joshua, God Before Us. In this study, we will learn some helpful truths from God fulfilling His promise to the children of Israel, and how through following Jesus, we too can experience a life of promise and blessing. And uh, hard to believe, but we're going to be concluding our study through the book of Joshua. Now, it hasn't been an exhaustive study. We haven't hit every single verse along the way. Um, But we have hit a lot of the major points, and I believe given us all at least a very general idea. The good thing about doing these book studies is that if somebody ever asks you, hey, what is the book of Joshua about? You can kind of give them a blow-by-blow, at least an overview of what is there and what has been taking place. And so last week, uh, we were back in Joshua chapter number 14. We saw a very uh, powerful lesson there on the life of Caleb uh, and of Joshua, of course. But now we come to the very end of the book, Joshua 23 and 24, uh, the final two chapters. And as we come to the end of the book, not only do we come to uh, the end of the written word, we actually come to the end of Joshua's leadership. And eventually we'll see here the end of his life uh, as well. And so what we see, though, in these last two chapters is we see the final words of a leader to his people. We see the final instructions, the final uh, plea that Joshua makes to his people. And, and as typical as it is when it comes to great leaders, there's sometimes a little bit of anticipation. Uh, there's a little bit of reverence as they maybe give what could be their final address uh, to the people. And it's interesting if you study it out uh, or, or look it up even, uh, the idea of famous last words of famous people is somewhat of an interesting uh, study. If you get online and you look some things up, and I was telling Jeanette, I, I found a list of 60 famous people and the last things that they said, and, and there were some really funny ones in there, you know, and you, you find some of, from different people that are funny and, and some that are uh, a little bit disparaging, like the one by Karl Marx, and, and you know, as you guys I'm sure have heard of him before, I don't necessarily agree with him on all things, uh, but uh, he said this because it was on his, he was essentially on his deathbed and because of who he was uh, there uh, his housekeeper was sitting there at his bedside and she was had a notebook and her hand or pen out and she you know was going to write down everything he said at the end of his life and the last thing that he said for her to her was this last words are for fools who haven't said enough <laughs> that's what he said sometimes when you read about last words sometimes they're a little bit funny like this guy, James French. Now, James French was a convicted murderer, really great guy. Uh, he was a convicted murderer, and, and he was actually the last person in the state of Oklahoma that was sentenced to death by electrocution. And, uh, and uh, his name was James French, and so as he was there, and he was the last one that was going to be uh, put to death in this way, uh, there were reporters there and people, and so he yelled out his last words. He yelled out to the reporters that were there to observe. He says, how's this for a headline for you? He said this to the reporters. French fries. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, sometimes when you come to last words, they're, they're tragic, but they're also comical at the same time. This is uh, General John Sedgwick. He was a commander during the American Civil War, and uh, his last words were, as the commander, as he stood with his aide next to him, as he looked out on the battlefield, the last word that he said was, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. Okay, there's a few of you laughed at that one. I laughed, I laughed when I read that one. And then that was it. They got him. He was killed by a sharpshooter at a great distance. Uh, so he was either bigger than an elephant or uh, 
I don't know. <laughs> Those are just a few uh, that, I, that I thought I'd share with you today, but there's, there's a lot, and you can look them up online. There's tons of last words of famous people. Uh, but when it comes to the Bible, the last words or the last speeches that we see of famous uh, characters in the Bible have a lot more serious content to them. They have a lot uh, deeper of significance. If you think about it, think about the last words that Jacob spoke or the last words that Moses recorded for us or the last words of King David or think about this, uh, the book of John, uh, he used chapters 13 through 17 to record the last words of Jesus Christ as he was uh, uh, on the very night that he was betrayed. And last words do matter and they carry some weight, especially if they're from people in positions of influence or positions of influence. I guess leadership, you could say, for you in your own life. I remember, uh, for me, sometimes I remember most clearly the last things that a friend said to me or someone said to me before they passed away. Some of you have, have very vivid memories of maybe losing someone that was close to you. And what do you, you remember the final things that they said to you, the last uh, conversation that you had. And in the Bible, we often find that the last words are very important for us to take note of. And it's the same when it comes to the life of Joshua. The final words that Joshua gives to Israel really give us what his heart was and it tells us about his last concern for Israel and his last concern for Israel was simply their relationship with the Lord. He did not want to leave this earth until he had reminded Israel about, uh, reminded them and challenged them to love and serve God. See to Joshua, his life would have been in vain, his ministry would have been in vain to the people of Israel unless the nation that he had served his entire life did not continue on in their worship and continue on in their devotion to God. He desired to leave behind a legacy of leadership that pointed a nation to God and to him alone as their source of provision and of their source of strength. And so what we see is that he first gathered together the leaders of the nation in chapter number 23, and then he gathered in chapter 24 uh, the entire nation, or at least representatives from the entire nation, as he reminded them, as he warned them, and as he challenged them about the special relationship that they had with God. And so for us today, as we've been looking at this book uh, from New Testament eyes and as Christians, what we're going to see today is a reminder, a warning, and a challenge to us to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and to fully pursue his will for us if we're going to experience the promised abundant life in the will that he has for each of us. And so let's go to Joshua chapter 23, and I'll begin reading in verse number one and verse number two. I'm just gonna give you a heads up. We're gonna read a lot today. We're gonna cover a lot of scripture. I don't have them all on the screen. And so if you have your Bibles out or your app out, uh, so you can follow along. Um, but we'll begin with chapter 23 and verse number one to two. And it came to pass after a long, uh, pass a long time after that, the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about. What a great time that would have been. Have a little bit of rest from their enemies. And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And he said unto them, I am old and stricken in years, meaning I'm old and I'm very advanced in age. And essentially, essentially I'm just an old guy. That's what he said. And then in verse uh, number three to verse number five, he says, And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Point number one this morning in your notes, I want you to see how Joshua gave them a reminder of fulfilled commitments. This is what I love. The first thing he says to them is he reminds them about God's fulfilled commitments. Look again at verse number uh, four. 
Or at verse number three, he had said, uh, you've seen all that the Lord has done for you. Your God has fought for you. Verse four, behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them from out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. Skip down to verse number nine. He said, for the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. That's, that's a very interesting phrase there. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God. He it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. Down to verse number 14. And behold this day I am going the way of all the earth. And ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. If you underline stuff in your Bible, underline that phrase right there. Not one thing hath failed you of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you. And not one thing hath failed thereof. If you moved over into chapter number 24, down uh, verses 1 through verse number 13, I'm not going to read all of them, but basically what is saying here is he gets the people together as he does the exact same thing. And he begins to remind them about all of the good things that God had done for them, all of the the promises he had fulfilled and all of the lands that he had given and all of the uh, battles that he had fought with them on. And and I I want you to notice there that Joshua is just reminding the the people of the fact that God fulfills his promises. Did you see that there? He said, God is, he said, I fought for you. He said, I've drove out the nations. He said, I have strengthened you. That idea of one person could chase a thousand. There's another passage in scripture that talks about how one person could chase a thousand, but two together could chase 10,000. And the idea of God's strength and the idea of unity. And he says, I've strengthened you. I've, I've gone before you. Think about Jericho. Not a single person lost their life as they defeated that city. And he says, I've, I've gone, I've strengthened. And then he said, I have not failed you. I have not failed you. I love that. In verse number 14. And then in chapter 24, those first 13 verses, 18 different times, uh, it is implied to them that I did this thing for you. He said it in different ways, but 18 different uh, uh, illustrations of how God was there for them and how God worked for them. And the thing that I want us to understand, church, as Joshua is reminding them of all of the good things that God has done and how he's been there and strengthened them. The thing I want you to remember today is that we serve the exact same God as the God of Joshua. The same God that was with them and the same God that has not failed in one thing concerning the nation of Israel. I got to tell you, he has not failed you at all either. And if you're saved today and you know him and you have him in your heart, you need to remember and recognize that God has kept his word in your life as well. So when God says to you, the New Testament Christian, when God says to you, I am doing a good work in you, you can believe it. When God says to us, I love you with an everlasting love, He loves you with an everlasting love. When God says, I have forgiven you, he has forgiven you. Even if you haven't forgiven you, God has forgiven you. When God says to us that uh, when he says, you are my child, you're his child. When he says, I know your needs and I will supply, he knows your needs and he will supply. Do you see where I'm going here? A little pattern. When he says, my grace is sufficient, his grace is sufficient. When he says, my spirit will teach you and guide you, he'll be there. When he says, I have a purpose for your life. When he says, I've worked on your behalf. When he says, I am your refuge and strength. When he says, I am your savior. When he says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. All of these things that God has said to us, he will not fail him and we can take him at his word. It's so important that sometimes, maybe even in the middle of a work day uh, or a busy schedule, that we remind ourselves of the fact that God has not failed us yet. 
And Joshua is trying to bring that to their attention. God has been there for you. To me, one of the things uh, that I love out of the Old Testament uh, so much is the constant stream of reminders that God is an everlasting, unfailing God that loves us and who promises to us and comes through for us. And I want to challenge you today and encourage you, if you are doubting the goodness of God, I want to remind you that God fulfills his commitments and he will not fail you. He made it so clear to them. He said, I have not failed you in one of these promises And I got to tell you today, God has not failed you at all. You say, well, I don't see it that way. Okay. God is God, (laughs) right? And we are not. You say, I I don't really see it in the same way. I, I, I would challenge you to look at it through the eyes of Christ then and not through your own earthly eyes. It changes things. It changes things. But God has not failed us. He loves us too much. He loves us too much. And because of his love, What we also see in this passage is that because of his love, he loves us too much to allow us to stay the way we are right now. And he loves us enough to not allow us to live life with no consequences. And so that's why in his final words as well, we see secondly, a warning about broken uh, uh, broken devotion. At first he reminded them about his fulfilled commitments, but then secondly, he gave them a warning about broken devotion. Look at verse number six and verse number seven. He said, be therefore uh, very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. So he's, he's heading into a moment of warning here. Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left. Keep the law. Why? Verse, uh, verse number seven, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you. Neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them. Neither serve them, nor bow uh, yourselves unto them. If you look down at verse number 12, I'm going to read verses 12 through 16, uh, where he said, uh, Else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you. Know for a certainty. So here's what he's saying. If you turn to these, uh, these, these ungodly nations, these that remain in Canaan, if you follow after their gods and you turn to them, look at verse 14. Um, sorry, verse 13. He said, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. Meaning, I'm not going to be there to drive them out any longer. But they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes. Ouch. (laughs) A thorn in your eye. (laughs) Until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Verse 14. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed uh, thereof. Verse 15, therefore shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he have destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land, which he hath given unto you. Now listen, Joshua made this message very, very personal here as he warned them and warned the people about the fact that their well-being was hinged upon their willingness to obey and serve the Lord. 
Their very well-being was connected to their willingness to serve the Lord. And so he strongly concluded for them that if they ignored the warnings, if they pursued after the false gods and the practices of the remaining Canaanites, that they would find this. And this is what they would find. They would find the same God that devoted himself to their good would be the same God who devoted themselves to their chastening and correction. Now, when you put it in that light and the understanding, because like we talked about, I think last week or week before, we like to uh, really lift up the things about God that we like. And man, God is for my good and God is there for me and God is, but you know what? He's also there to correct us and to get us back to where we need to be. And that's what he's trying to say is the very same God, I don't know if you notice that there in the passage, the very same God who committed to your good would be equally devoted and committed to their judgment and their correction. See, God was determined that his people would remain separate and, and, and be a set apart there in that land. And God had kept his promises to them. And so he expected them to keep their promises to him. Isn't that funny? We, we, we often, we're like, man, God's going to keep his promises. Your love never fails and never gives up, right? And we, you know, he's going to keep his promises. But, oh, my promises to God, right? It's like, ah, you know, ah, ah it didn't work out. I didn't keep it this week. God expects us, if we make a vow, if we make a, a commitment, if we make a promise to God, there's an expectation of that. And he expected that his people would keep their promises to him. You know, the word of God is like a, you could almost look at it like a two-edged sword. If we obey his word and we follow his path, there's blessings, there's comfort, there's strength. But if we disobey and we turn in rebellion against God, he brings correction to our lives until we submit to him. See, God loves us enough to correct us. We use the illustration of a parent all the time. You know, when I correct my children, when I, when I uh, correct them and the things that they're doing wrong, I don't do it because I hate them. <laughs> I don't do it because I, I want to see them, uh, you, you, you know, uncomfortable as I'm like, don't run in the street. <laughs> you know, why can't I run in this? Don't run in. Now, what am I doing? I'm, trying to, I'm teaching them because I want to protect them down the road. A child who always runs in the street will not run in the street much longer. <laughs> That's an ancient proverb, <laughs> you know. Uh, you heard it here first. Uh, it, it's true. And so I discipline, I teach them. I want, the ch- I want them to treat their mother and my, me with respect because a, a, pr- a child who grows up without respect is, becomes a teenager without respect. And a teenager without respect becomes a young adult ra- without respect. And a young adult without respect equals unemployment. <laughs> and, uh, and so, I, you know, we're looking down the road, aren't we? And, uh, and uh, not all unemployment is because of disrespect. You guys understand that, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, you understand what I'm trying to say. And so we correct. And the same thing with God. God corrects us. He, he brings things into our life to wake us up. And he chastises us because he loves us. He loves us. And the evidence of, uh, of, of his love is the fact that he does come and correct us and get us back to the place where we need to be. Charles Spurgeon said that God will not allow his children to sin successfully. God will not allow his children, and that's the key there, his children. He will not allow his children to sin successfully. You know, there are still consequences to our sin. There are still consequences to our sin, church. But praise the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit of God. You notice how he talked about how he was going to bring, you know, thorns in the eye. and <laughs> He was going to bring all, he was going to allow their, them to be attacked and uh, all of this suffering. And, and by the way, we see that later on in Israel's history. That's exactly what happened. They were chastised and, and nations came in and took away captives and they were exiled from their own land for centuries. And, uh, and God did allow that to come because of their rebellion. But for us today, 
God does bring things into our lives, but we also have the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sinful attitudes and sinful actions. And the point of it is so that our hearts become pointed back to God. And so I would encourage you with this. If you're a Christian today and you're living in sin and you're living in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord or, or maybe you are but you've fallen away from Him or there's a, 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 maybe something that you're in right now and that Holy Spirit begins to convict you about it and you feel that twinge of working, don't resist it. Embrace it because it's God trying to get you back to where you need to be so you can experience His joyful will for your life and experience that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory as the song says and it comes from allowing the Spirit of God to, to uh, work within us. Remember, God wants to be close to us. You recognize that. God wants to be close to us. James uh, 4, 8 tells us to draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. See, see God's not moving. <laughs> God is holy. God is just. We're the ones who are all constantly turning our back and walking. He says, I'll never forsake you. He's always facing us. He never turns his back on us. But as we draw close to him, as we repent of sin, and as we get right with the Lord, that close relationship is then restored. He said, cleanse your hands, though, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Psalm 32, verse 5 says, uh, David said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. See, that's the pattern that we see when we are away from God, when we're living in disobedience to him. We can come to him in repentance and we can have that relationship restored with him. See, the default position of the human heart is always towards the worship of ourselves, isn't it? That's like the default switch <laughs> for our heart. And, and uh, we worship ourselves and we turn away from God and we turn away to the false promises of the gods of this world. You know, the gods of this world, the things that we talked about in, in previous messages, things that we are attracted to or that we turn towards they're all around us and they're very deceptive. See, they appear to offer us freedom. They appear to offer us fulfillment, but in the end, the gods of this world will consume us. Joshua is saying to them, if you pursue the gods of the, of the Canaanites, if you pursue after these things, it may seem like it's fulfilling, but the end result is that it's going to consume you. And so we as Christians must recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as our rescuer, but we must also submit to him as our ruler. Because God will allow, allow no rivals to the throne of our, or, or no rivals to him in the throne of our heart. Yet when it comes to this idea of submission, as we even sang about, and this idea of, of getting to that place of submission and, 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 and repentance before God, it's constantly an attack, though, in our lives, isn't it? The idea of submission, the idea of truly giving ourselves to God. It's, it's uh, under attack in, in our relationships. It's under attack in our friendships. It's, it's uh, under attack in, even in our church at some times. And it's definitely under attack in the culture that we live. And every single day, I recognize church because I walk through it as well. Every single day, the battle is on, isn't it? The battle's on. Whether it's at work or at school, when we're online, when we're on uh, watch, just watching TV, our culture is parading its idols out there for us insisting that this is what we must have, how we must look. This is just what you need. And it, and it just puts it out there to us. And it's like, this is, this is it. Did you know that uh, money, sex, and power are the greatest idols of our age? Did you know that? Oh, and they've been the greatest idols of every age. <laughs> they are timeless. <laughs> they are timeless false idols. And, and we, are, we are honestly foolish to think that we're immune from their draw. 
But the truth is, is that if you pursue those false idols of this world, you will not be satisfied because they are empty idols. And in the end, they will destroy those that give themselves over to them. If you remember what Paul said in Ephesians 6, 12, where he said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What he's trying to say is that we are in a spiritual battle. And, and our enemy will do anything that he can to distract you, to turn after the false gods that will take, pla- take the place of the true God in your life. We have to recognize that's what's happening. And you say, oh, you know, it's just, it's just uh, uh, the people I hang out with or, you know, or I watch this show, I really like this show, or I, I like this type of lifestyle, whatever it may be. Listen, if it's taking the place of God in your life, you have to be aware it'll take up residence as an idol in your heart, over him even. Any pursuit other than the pursuit of God will end up as an empty journey. And when we give ourselves into those pursuits, when we break our devotion to the Lord, there will be consequences. And that's the warning that Joshua is giving here to Israel. He's saying, you've got you, you, you to keep yourself on the right path. You've got to follow the law of God. You've got to do the right thing. Otherwise, God will chasten you. He will correct you. And Christian, God will correct you. It may not be, you know, sometimes I know we, we sin, and then we're like waiting. I don't know why we always look up like this, you know. <laughs> and and we're, we're waiting for like, oh man, you know. And then, and then you know, we, we run out of gas. So we're like, I knew it, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's not how the chastening of the Lord often works. Here's what I believe. I certainly believe the Lord will use the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and give you an opportunity to repent. Our God is graceful, isn't he? But don't be deceived. There are consequences for the way that we relate to our God. And so he gives them a warning about their broken devotion. But then thirdly, he gives them then a challenge just to serve the Lord. So as a reminder of the fulfillment uh, of the commitments that God had made to them, man, God is great. He's been there for you. He says, but you need to be reminded, be reminded. It's like, uh, as far as the warning goes, uh, many of you know uh, what it's like to have a workplace that has warnings everywhere. You guys, you know, when I used to work at London Drugs, we had a cardboard compactor. And man, I wanted to throw stuff in there, <laughs> you know. There was warning signs all over, you know. This was many years ago. I, I, think, I think now, I don't know, maybe they have like fingerprint ID or something. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's only one guy who could operate it. And if anybody touched the compactor, I mean, there was tons of warnings everywhere. And guess what? Every time we had a staff meeting, guess what they talked about? Don't touch <laughs> the compactor. There was constant warnings because they want to make sure that we, do not, uh, that we do not injure ourselves. But yet they realize how stupid employees are sometimes. And so we need to be reminded over and over and over again. And it's the same way with us. We need to be warned. You know, it's easy. We could say, yeah, I know that the Bible gives us warnings. And yes, I know uh, that I'm not supposed to do these things. But God constantly reminds us because we so quickly forget. There are consequences for our sin. And so we need to be aware of that. But then lastly, we see Joshua here give them a challenge to serve the Lord. I love this. Look at verse number 14 and 15. Joshua chapter 24. So Joshua says this. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord and, say that word, serve. And serve him in sincerity and in truth. That phrase right there is super key. To to serve him in not only uh, truth, but also in sincerity. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood. And in Egypt, by the way, that reference to the other side of the flood is talking about the river Euphrates. So he's talking about Abraham's father, the one, uh, the one that Abraham was called out of, Ur of the Chaldees. That's talking about on the other side of the Euphrates River. 
So he said, put away the gods from way back when, some 400 plus years, uh, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. And I love this phrase. And my, my dad had this uh, printed out in a frame right above, uh, I think, the stairs in our house going downstairs. This is what it said. But as for me and my house, say it with me, we will serve the Lord. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He reminded them about God's faithfulness. He warned them about the dangers of the divided devotion. And now Joshua calls on the people of Israel to choose. And I love that. He says, choose to serve the Lord and not only choose to serve him, but serve him with reverence and serve him with sincerity and serve him with truth. And he emphasized it by telling them that regardless of what they did, he had already made the choice for himself. And that's what I love. He doesn't say, you get out there and you serve the Lord, you know. He says this, he says, I've already decided this. So regardless of you say you're going to serve the Lord, it doesn't matter. I'm going to serve him. I've already decided this for my family. And that's the thing we have to get, you know, we live in such a day of, uh, of group think and of collective decisions, don't we? And, and we base our decisions about, uh, off of what other people are saying and what other people are doing. This is the complete opposite of that. He's saying to a nation, you need to serve the Lord, but even if you don't, for me and my family, I'm going to serve the Lord. And that's a decision that all of us have to make as individuals. Individuals. You say, I don't have a family right now. If, if you're a family of one, you have a family. And you need to say, I'm going to serve the Lord. This is the decision that I'm going to make. He's not asking them to do something that he was not willing to do. See, God does not want us to live for him half-heartedly. <laughs> Don't live for God half-heartedly. If you're going to live for God, then just put him first. Put him first. Don't live your life holding on to the false gods of the past. Make a definitive choice that you're going to serve God, that you're going to move forward, and you're going to serve him from a pure and a clean heart before the Lord. And make that decision for yourself and say, this is what I'm going to do. Everybody else doesn't have to do it, but bro, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to serve God. I'm going to pursue him with my whole heart. You know, I found it so amazing that he referenced different gods. Did you see that? He referenced the gods of Abraham's father on the other side of the Euphrates. He also referenced the fact that they needed to forsake gods from Egypt. Now, I just want to break this down for a minute because this, I feel, is very, very powerful. We're talking about gods that for hundreds of years had maybe some way found their way back into the group. <laughs> and then Egypt, it's been some 45 years since they left Egypt, and yet in somebody's backpack <laughs> or in their mind, there's still this god from Egypt. And I thought it was so interesting you would think that as they crossed the Jordan River, I mean, we're going into the promised land and we're going into the, uh, you know, and, and as they're crossing the Jordan River on dry ground, that there would have been those few that had some idols would have been like, chucked them, you know, <laughs> chucked them in a pile on the other side of the Jordan because this is new, I mean, this is new life, right? This is, this is what God has given to us. You'd think that as Jericho, the walls fell and as they burned the city, that there would have been those few that still had an idol would have been like, <laughs> and thrown that idol into the fire to finally be destroyed because, man, God has proven himself to me now. But we see him here, at, even after the occupation of the promised land, still challenging them to stop carrying around these idols, these false idols and these false gods. 
you think they'd be gone, but they were traveling with them. Isn't it interesting how our idols travel with us throughout life? Isn't it interesting? The things that we hold on to. And for some of you here today, you have been carrying the false idols of this world for years. For years. You're saved. You have new life in Christ. You've crossed over. You, you, you have the promised land ahead of you. You have new life in Christ, but you're still carrying along with you those past idols from the, the, those idols from the past. It could be uh, the idol of pride in your life that you're just unwilling to give things up. And because of that pride that you struggle with, it creates unforgiveness. It creates bitterness. Uh, it creates a, 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 a condescending tone towards other people. For some of you, you've been carrying the false idol of lust that promises fulfillment to you, but it only ends up in emptiness. And you carry that with you and, and it affects your self-image. It affects other people, the way you look at other people. It could be the love of money that you carry. It guides every decision that you make. It could be a career. It could be materialism, a focus. Today, it could be uh, the idea of how well you look online and and uh, your social media profiles, it could be an addiction, it could be alcohol, it could be uh, the abuse of a medication, it could be something, and, and you know that you need to leave it behind, but you still kind of carry it around with you. And you carry it around, and every once in a while you pull it out and you kind of look at it, and you say, oh, I remember. I remember what it was like. Maybe you turn to it for a while. And listen, Christian, we need to recognize that as long as we are carrying these idols, it's going to keep you from truly following after God. It's going to keep you because while you are choosing to serve him, you're choosing to keep those as well. And we've got to leave those things behind because as long as we're carrying them, we're not going to be able to fully commit to God. That's why Joshua is telling them, you got to make a choice. You got to make a decision what you're going to do. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve those idols? Are you going to serve the things of this world? Or are you going to serve the Lord and pursue after him? A pastor said it this way. He said, if you're not prepared to serve God as he commands you, then stop pretending and stop living a lie. Whoa, mic drop, boom, explosions everywhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, come on. He's saying stop living the lie, right? We all hate it when people live lies. But many, many Christians live a lie. Because we're in church and we come and we're like, oh yeah, I love the Lord. Nothing is impossible. You're my healer. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and uh, as that, that's kind of old, I guess. People don't know whoop, whoop anymore. And, uh, you know, and, we're, and, and we say this, but then we still have these idols in our heart. We're still unwilling to forgive. We're still unwilling to walk away uh, from that past. We're still unwilling to recognize God's forgiveness and love for us. We're, we're not willing to embrace who God has created us to be and fully pursue him. That was only one line of the quote. I want to continue. <laughs> he says, you need to just come out and say you are going to serve materialism, worldliness, prosperity, and all the gods of the modern age. He said, stop pretending and just say, this is who I'm going to serve. If these are the gods who have the love of your heart, then just say so. You cannot have it both ways. It is either the Lord God or these other gods. Listen, church, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to serve? Are you going to continue to serve the ideals and the purposes of this world? Are you going to continue to allow yourself to be distracted? Or are you going to choose? Choose. It's a choice that for me and for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I, I, you know, for those of you that are in dating relationships, that means for you and for you, your house. 
not what your boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever, whoever says you should do. Okay? As a husband and wife where two became one flesh, you guys need to decide this together. A house divided cannot stand. House divided cannot stand. And this is where oftentimes it breaks down relationally when, uh, when a Christian is dating a non-Christian or, or two Christians where one's committed and the other's not committed. And man, that relationship struggles because there has to be a singular focus, a devotion. And we've got to lay those things aside and say, for me and for my house, this is what I'm going to do. I don't care what they tell me to do at work. I don't care how people try to influence my lifestyle. I don't care, I don't care uh, what society says I should be like or what society says I should think or what I see in the news media and what everything is promoted out there is this is the truth and this is what I got to do. Listen, it doesn't matter because for me and for my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. So I'm going I'm to look at life through the lens of the word. And so when I see something online and I see something out there and I'm like, huh, I don't know about that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to study the word and see what God has to say about it first. I'm not just going to step off and, oh, yeah, all my friends said this is a good thing, so I'm going to do it. No, I'm going to look at the word first and I'm going to make the right decision. Even if, listen, church, the sad thing is that sometimes Christians influence us in the wrong way. And this is not so that we're all super suspicious of each other. We need to think the best of each other, okay, and trust one another. That's very important. But at the same time, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you and they're like, I don't know about that, you need to check it out. <laughs> you need to uh, get into the word and know the word of God and make sure. And by the way, there are times that come where there's decisions that come into your life and they're not necessarily bad or sinful decisions, but God just says, you know what? Maybe you don't need to do that right now. Maybe, maybe you don't need to be involved in that and you need to trust the Holy Spirit. You need to trust the word of God as you make those decisions. Joshua said to them and he reminded them, you, you, just, you, gotta, you gotta choose today. You gotta choose today who you're gonna serve. That's our challenge today. Who are you going to serve? Because if you want to serve the gods of this world, you might as well just come out and be like, I got, sorry, I love the idols of this world. And I'm all in. I'm all in. But if not, then you need to choose to serve the Lord. Now, here's what I love. The people responded in a really powerful way. Look at chapter 24, and uh, we're going to read up the last part of this chapter, verse number 16. I'm going to read these verses uh, quickly and, and get through them here. Verse number 16 this is the people's response. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up uh, and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people uh, through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord for he is our God. And Joshua said to the people, ye cannot serve God for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. And he he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done good. You say, what is happening here? They said, we're going to serve God. And Joshua's like, you can't. <laughs> nice guy. What is he? He's emphasizing. He's warning them. He's, listen, he is a holy God. And so if you're going to come out and say, oh yeah, I'm going to serve him completely and totally and it's going to be, and, and your heart's not in it, there's going to be some struggles. Verse 21, and the people said unto Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you're witnesses against yourselves. Oh, man. You are witnesses against yourselves. How often have I been a witness against myself? Where I have made a public statement or I have said something about my walk with God or I'm going to serve God in this way and I failed him terribly. I failed him terribly. You're witnesses against yourselves, verse 24, that ye have chosen 
you the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said Joshua, he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. Verse 25. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it there, uh, up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Can you see it? Man, I can see it. <laughs> this stone and this oak is by the sanctuary of the Lord. And old Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. So it was over, and they dismissed. And it came to pass, verse 29, that after these things, that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Sirah, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaish. And I want you to look here at verse number 31. I've got it here on the screen. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, that outlived him, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. The people made a covenant. Joshua set up this stone and they covenanted together that they would serve God. And you can imagine them there by that tree and the leaders there as Joshua as 110 years old. Probably sitting on the rock that he had somebody else put there. And as he challenges them and he says, I'm going to make a covenant. This place, this rock is a covenant. And the people said, all right, we're going to covenant together on that. You know what, church? I think as a church family, we need a covenant with one another that we're going to serve the Lord. What a powerful thought that is. As a nation said, we are going to serve the Lord together. And what is so great about this verse in verse number 31 here is that Joshua proved to be as good as his word. <laughs> it was not just something that he talked about. It was something that he himself practiced. And the testimony that we see in verse number 31 is that his life of faithful servant had a, a profound effect. Did you see here how it said that all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua and Israel served the Lord all his days and the days of the elders. What does that mean? It means that his life had a lasting effect on other people and it made a difference. He had a lasting effect on those. And the children of Israel served the Lord as long as he wasn't leading. And those that followed him were leading. They continued to serve the Lord. You know what? A life that is committed to serving God will have lasting effects. Lasting effects. In 200 years, no one is probably going to know my name if the Lord does not return. <laughs> I really doubt anyone's going to know, know my name. But you know what? In maybe 50 or 60 years, I'm hoping that there's a generation behind me that does remember my name and says, I want to serve the Lord like Paul Connor served the Lord. That's what I pray for. I don't think that's prideful to say that. That's what, that's what I desire. Because what it means is that I truly did follow the Lord. <laughs> Because if I was inconsistent or if I was, if I was hypocritical in that at all, they're not going to remember. They're not going to know because I'm going to mess up at some point. <laughs> but if I can trust in the Lord and rely on his strength and pursue him and, 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 and teach those that come behind me and raise my boys to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to have them remember the fact that I serve the Lord, then it's all worth it. And that's how we can have a lasting impact is choosing that we're going to serve God and pursuing after him.
This morning, what I want us to do is just to learn from the reminder, the warning, and the challenge in these last words of Joshua. But more than that, I want to ask each of you today to choose who you're going to serve. Choose who you're going to serve. I, I don't think it's wrong of us to assume that from the passage. <laughs> it's actually very clear. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. If you're going to choose to serve the gods of this world, Egypt is always a picture of sin in, in Scripture. And if you're going to choose to continue to serve after the idols of sin and the things of, of our adversary, the devil, and you're going to continue to pursue that and carry those along with you for years and generations, you should just be like, hey, you know what? This is just what it's going to be. Don't try to pretend. Don't try to pretend. But if you're like, you know what? I want to serve the Lord. I want to raise my children for the Lord. I want to have a testimony among my peers. I want to have a testimony in my school. I want to see those that I love come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I want to have that testimony. Then you've got to choose today to serve the Lord and say, today I'm going to choose to serve him. It might mean some changes. It might. In fact, I believe it'll involve some changes. <laughs> it might involve some hard conversations. But in the end, in the end, a life that is committed to Christ is the joyful Christian life, first of all. And second of all, a life that is committed to Christ is a life that leaves an impact in other people's lives. And as Christians who are the light and the salt, we, we are to be different. We are to make an impact. We are to influence other people. And that's going to come as we choose to serve the Lord. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will.